It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello, friends. Welcome to Cadillac On Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. And tonight, as we make our way through the month of March and head towards spring and spring vacation, uh, we continue to focus on COVID-19 and the vaccines that are available and where we stand relative to the case rates and the prevalence of COVID, the coronavirus in our community. It's uh, Tonight, we're, we're glad to have with us Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District for part of our program. And it's, it's interesting each week when Heather and I communicate on a Monday, we're talking about, okay, we'll probably about have about half of the program uh, devoted to COVID-19 and kind of wondering what topics we're going to address. And usually by when we come on the air live on Wednesday evenings at 6, we have a lot to talk about. And, and Heather, I know tonight is no exception, but just today there's some new uh, news out relative to opening up more age groups to the vaccine. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment, but maybe just begin by where we are relative to the actual virus as in Benton and Franklin counties as we're talking this evening. You know, we're, we're continuing to see certainly cases of COVID, but we're able to say it is still continuing in a downward trend. We would like to see it a little steeper downward trend, but it's it's at least going the right direction. Benton County is certainly sitting in a better position than Franklin County is because Franklin County is really close to that 200 per 100,000 over a 14-day period of time. They're right below that right now, which is one of the metrics that's being looked at for remaining in, in Phase 3. And we really want to encourage the Franklin County residents to continue doing the good work, doing what needs to happen to keep that rate going down because we know uh, once it's reevaluated again in April, if if they bounce back above that, there is that chance that they will get bumped back down into phase two. So we've got a little time to keep it headed the right direction. So, you know, hoping Franklin County can keep going that way. Well, and it, and it's interesting because as we've talked about all throughout this, there's so many statistics and metrics to talk about, but just I know nationally we surpassed 30 million cases nationally. And here in our community, I know obviously it was a year ago, one of the hardest hits as this invaded the, the Northwest was our region was hit particularly hard. And I know the piece relative to um, our area was in the elderly population, the long-term care facilities. And then as the weather got warmer, the the, the essential populations that work in the area, agricultural areas. So is that where we're, as we enter that type of time of year again, especially in the farm farm season, that we need to keep our guard up in this area? I, I think in both areas, both long-term care and, and the agricultural community. Right now, we have a, a team that is focused on how to help our agricultural workers access the vaccine. They were hit so hard last summer and we don't want to see a repeat of that again. It's obvious through looking at data around the nation that when we get groups of people vaccinated, we don't see transmission to the high rates that, that we historically have seen. So we know we need to get this population vaccinated because that's, that's, that's our community's livelihood. We're, we're an agricultural-based community. 
And in order to keep our businesses open and running, we need to make sure COVID doesn't enter back into that population to the extent it did last summer. So, in fact, um, tomorrow and Friday, we're, we're working with one of our organizations, one of our businesses that was pretty, pretty hard hit last year with COVID, and it did affect their business significantly. And they've reached out to us and asked us if we would come in and do a, a vaccine clinic for their employees as they're getting ready to start coming back in, into work. And that... That felt really good to think that an employer really looked at vaccine as a way to protect the workforce, certainly, but also to keep businesses rolling in the ag, ag community. Um, not only does it affect the pocketbook of the business and, and the community, but you hate to have your employees not able to work and earn an income because then that affects the, the financial aspects in our community in, in many ways. If you, if you don't have a job and you don't have money, how, how do you spend your money that you don't have in the community? So there's just so many reasons to keep those workers healthy and able to continue working, and, and vaccine is certainly an important thing that needs to happen. And you touched on, and we'll maybe bounce back and forth between the incidence of COVID and uh, the vaccine availability, but you touched on this phase three. And I know, obviously, as the phases open up, it allows us to get back to a more normal life. But it's things where more people in the restaurants, uh, people can actually intend in-person sporting events and things of that nature, movie theaters and the like. Um, is that kind of what we still need to be conscious of, as you say, that as we open up, we still can't just go from, you know, zero, 100 miles an hour in, a, in adherence to these standards to zero and just forget about them? Right. And I think that's our concern and, and a little bit of what we're seeing in the community and, and hearing anecdotally in the community is, as things start to open up, because we have entered the new phase of, of things being open, we get to participate in more activities, but that doesn't mean we let our guard down with regard to, you know, face covering, covering our nose and our mouth, and that social distancing. We may be able to have more people at events. We may get to go to a theater. We may get to go to gyms now. But that doesn't mean we do it without a mask. And that is where we're going to really rely on the community to keep doing what needs to happen to stop the spread so that we continue in that downward trend. It feels great to be able to go out and about and do a few more things, but with it comes the responsibility of continuing to do those simple mitigation efforts that will keep us moving in the right direction. And it's simply wearing a, a mask over your, your nose and your mouth and that social distancing. We, we have heard about with the, with the, the vaccine and the, and the incidents and things of that nature, but uh, the phases as we keep, keep going and the hospitalizations, I guess on the positive side, the hospitalizations continue to stay low. I know at, where I work at Cadillac, uh, they've, thankfully been in the single digits or in the low teens, which is incredibly better than they were back in January and last summer. So that's a good thing. The And I understand even the testing uh, percentages, uh, percent positive testing has gotten down to that number where you want it to be. So does that mean more people are getting tested as well? Um, it would be nice if more people would go and get tested. Um 
you know, we look at the data, we realize that, you know, we're not at the high rates of testing we've seen in the past months. And that could be indicative of maybe more and more people are not uh, not feeling they get exposed or they're not having symptoms or for whatever reason, we are seeing a little bit, you know, downward trend over the last month in the number of people testing. And that is, you know, still one of the, the mitigation things that we have to help stop the spread is getting tested. Whether you test positive or negative, it's just so important to get tested to know what our status is and what the spread is like in our community. Are we in a false sense of security right now? And when we get that false sense of security, human nature says, great, let's relax our guard in other areas too. Our, our CDC West testing site does remain open seven days a week, and they will be open on Easter as well. So by all means, um, stop on in. They're, they're ready to go ahead and keep testing. Visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. We have more of Heather's time in our next segment. We'll dive a little deeper into the vaccine availability and some of the loosening of the phases and the, the groups of people that are eligible to get the vaccine. And we'll do that right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Lots of ground to cover with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District regarding the latest with coronavirus, the COVID-19 vaccine, the incidence of uh, COVID-19 in our region. And so, Heather, let's shift a little bit, if we could, before we get to the vaccine information. I know one of the uh, late-breaking issues is this uh, change uh, from the CDC about the six-foot minimum distancing requirement down to a three-foot recommendation. And I know uh, some of the schools are make, taking action to uh, adhere to that and allow for more in-person learning uh, in the next month or so. What What is the latest in that area, in fact, uh, w- relative to that? Sure. Um, all, all the health officers for the local health jurisdictions across Washington State have pretty much um, agreed that uh, should DOH go ahead and and accept that three-foot rule, they, they feel that that would be a safe way to proceed with school. They've looked at CDC and what CDC has to say about it and are now honestly just waiting for DOH to make the final recommendation for Washington State. And then um, the health officers across the state are certainly in agreement that that would be a safer way to return to school. And I know as we are speaking tonight, two of the districts in the Tri-Cities, the large ones, Richland and Kennewick, have made that decision pending a state approval. And I know Kennewick, I believe, as we're on the air this evening, are, is meeting currently and will likely do the same. So most likely they'll be back into full in-person learning by mid-April at the latest. Yeah, that's what it's really sounding like, and that that is exciting news for our, our families and especially for our kids. It's been a, a long, long time coming. Let's talk a little bit about the vaccine. I know where I work at Cadillac, uh, there are two events happening, one tomorrow and one on Friday, and there were some availabilities uh, as we went on the air today. And, and I know out at the fairgrounds, the large mass vaccination site, where I think I understand you're close to 40,000 vaccines given, and I know Cadillac has surpassed 14,000. 
But it seems, why are we seeing the supply? Whereas early on, it was just, my gosh, these these vaccine appointments would just be gone within minutes. And it certainly has slowed down. And, and on any given day, it appears that there are appointments that can be had for people who are in phase. You know, we don't really know exactly why that's happening. We can only guess, looking back to the, the population that was first, um, allowed to be vaccinated was that 65 and older group, and we know how hard that population was hit. They lost a lot of friends, they lost a lot of loved ones, and it hit that population very, very hard. And when you, you see that happen to the people you love and you realize you could get a vaccine that could prevent a lot of that heartache, um, the exciting things out at the clinic was how happy and almost giddy these seniors were when they would come driving through the tent to get their vaccine. They were so thankful to have that vaccine because they saw what the disease did to, to people they love, and they knew this was a way to prevent that from happening. You know, as we get into some of the younger populations where maybe they weren't witness to just how horrific this disease can be, it, it may be a little harder sell for them. They didn't actually experience perhaps some of what that 65 and older group experienced. Plus there's some, you know, the idea that, well, I'm young, I'm healthy, what if I get a little bit sick? I can handle that. I don't need to be vaccinated. And unfortunately, when it comes to COVID, we don't know how it is going to hit that young, healthy person. We've seen across the nation and even in our own community where young people have been severely affected by COVID. Perhaps they didn't die from it, but they are now dealing with months and months of effects from the, the virus affecting their body for, for many months to come in many different ways. But we don't really look at that young population as where we saw a lot of death, but we certainly do, do see a lot of disease that could be prevented with, with vaccine. And then the other concern is young people pass it to the vulnerable. And you may be young, healthy, and might not get very sick, but you could pass it on to that elderly person that it would end up, end up killing them. It would be lethal to them. And that's where herd immunity, getting as many people in our, our community as possible vaccinated, is so important so we could see that decrease in transmission. It's been very obvious in the healthcare worker community that when you get a group of healthcare workers vaccinated and they're working in high risk environments, we don't see transmission to the rate it, it was pre vaccination. And we know we can achieve the same thing in our community with high vaccination rates. We had touched on the, the issue of why not just opening it up to everyone to get the vaccine so that because we're we're doing so well. But I know even Franklin County is still uh, lagging behind in its vaccination rates among its population. Is that still true? You're, you're right. It's, it's one of the lowest vaccine rate counties in the state, which certainly has us concerned when we're looking at the case rate data being, you know, really teetering pretty high. And then the vaccination rate being the lowest or very close to the lowest in the state, that's very concerning because that tells us things could go bad very quickly over in Franklin County. And, you know, I think another thing that we need to realize when it comes to vaccine, 
because of the phases we're in now and we do have vaccine out there, getting vaccinated actually does allow you to have a few more freedoms, if you want to call it that. <laughs> right. You know, you, you can gather with your fully vaccinated friends now, whereas before that was not recommended. And then when we look at that elderly population, if you are a fully vaccinated family member, meaning you are two weeks past, when you've had your second dose, if you had a two-dose series, you can go and have a face-to-face -face visit with your loved one in that long-term care facility. Vice versa, if that resident is vaccinated, they can have a visit with that unvaccinated family member, remembering both people still do need to wear masks and they still do need to practice social distancing. But vaccination allows us to start having those visits with some of those vulnerable populations that have felt so isolated through this. So that goes to that question, if people are reluctant to get the vaccine, all the more reason to do it in that it's going to open up your communication, your availability to, to interact with your friends, family, and loved ones that much sooner. Absolutely. Yep, you're exactly right. Finally, we have a couple more minutes before we want to let you. Go. We have to let you go. But I, 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 you had touched on uh, the work that's happening later this week with some of the ag population, some of those those areas that were hard hit. That you're able to go to them and and start vaccinating their essential workers. What about? I know we've touched on this the last few weeks. The people that don't have maybe the transportation or they're homebound. Some of these uh, underserved populations. I know that's a priority uh, as. Uh, we continue to open up to vaccine. Right. And um, Washington State Department of Health has given us access to a list of potentially homebound people. And we've been looking at that in comparison to the list that we've collected here through our partnership with the EMS providers. And seeing just how well we've done at accessing our, our homebound and offering them vaccines, the... Um, EMTs and paramedics from our, our cities are still going out and doing those, those vaccines into the homebound population. So that is an ongoing service. And we're hoping that that will continue as more and more homebound people feel comfortable reaching out to, to get that service. I think some of the, the stories I've heard are really heartwarming when you know, an EMT paramedic goes into a house to do a vaccine on a homebound person, just how tremendously thankful they are because they now realize as soon as they're fully vaccinated, their family can start visiting again without so much risk. And when you're homebound and you're isolated, getting vaccinated is so important so that you can, you can have those visits from your family. All right, it's the lightning round. You have about 30 seconds to really drive home the key points that we've talked about tonight that people need to pay attention to. Boy, I think the key point is get vaccinated. And when you're out and about in the community, just because you're vaccinated, just because the phases are starting to open up, doesn't mean we can let our guard down with regard to face coverings and social distancing. So social distance, mask, and vaccines. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. As always, thanks so much for your time. And again, if you are eligible to get the vaccine, go get it as soon as you can. There is a lot of availability all throughout Benton and Franklin counties in southeast Washington. More of Catholic on Call right after this.
listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. We are going to continue our discussion on the latest with COVID-19. And to do that, we had touched on in the first part of our program, the favorable rates of COVID in the hospitals around our region, and in particular at Catholic Regional Medical Center, where the numbers are are much, uh, much better than they were at different parts of the past year, uh, down into the low teens and sometimes even into the single digits, which is great news uh, for everyone concerned. Uh, but we want to welcome back to the program Dr. Ted Samsel, who is, uh, you know, he's been on this program a number of times in a number of different ways. Um, and he's, and it's because he's such an important uh, person to Cadillac and this community, and he spent his career uh, taking care of patients uh, in the Tri-Cities. And now he's in retirement, but he's still very active in health care uh, relative to Cadillac. And, and Dr. Samsel currently serves as the chair of the Cadillac Community Mission Board, which is a group of volunteers that donate their time to help uh, set the policy and oversee the, the work going on at the Catholic Enterprise. He's also been very active with Catholic's Foundation. And so we wanted to bring Dr. Samsel to talk. First of all, uh, we want to spend a few minutes with you from your view as a retired physician, as a chair of the Catholic Community Board. Maybe just a first comment, Dr. Samsel, if you would, just on on your perspective of what this past year has meant and the performance of the of the staff at Cadillac and all the first responder community in the Tri-Cities area on fighting back against this virus. Oh, wow, Jim. I'm glad you asked me that question. As, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, board chair of Cadillac uh, Community Mission Board, we are very, very proud of how our staff have weathered this pandemic with grace empathy, compassion, dedication to the oath of our of their profession. And they have been an inspiration to all of us, and they truly are our heroes. They all deserve a gold medal from our community. I can tell you that. Well, it's, it's extremely well said, and I, I get a little goosebumpy when I hear you talk about that because uh, – you spent your career working in medicine and working in healthcare, and, and to be able to see the performance, and it's certainly the frontline healthcare care workers, the nurses, the respiratory therapists, the doctors, and all of the different clinical personnel, but the entire workforce in the in the clinical setting has been because, gosh, a year ago at this time, everybody became familiar with the acronym of PPE or personal protective equipment. And it was yeah. all, all, all the hospitals and healthcare facilities could do to find that. So it's a lot of people that have played such a significant role, isn't it? It is. And, uh, it's really interesting, uh, how our community rallied around the healthcare delivery system and, uh, provided some of the PPE equipment in the beginning, but, <clears throat> Because of Cadillac's uh, connection to Providence, we had a much bigger uh, supply chain that we could draw from. And I can tell you it's been such a, a uh, wonderful thing for us to be able to have that kind of powerful backing to supply better health care to uh, the Tri-Cities community and to help Cadillac remain as one of the best health care providers in, in the state. 
I don't know if you know it, Jim, but Cadillac saw the greatest number of COVID patients of any one hospital in the state. It was certainly at a time, as we touched on in the first part of our program with Heather, the way COVID came through, you know, we live in the breadbasket of the, of the Northwest. And, and as a result, uh, the the essential worker population, the farm worker community was hit extremely hard. And so uh, to, to that point that you reference is that's why there was such a huge strain on the healthcare system here in the Tri-Cities. And, and the other piece that I know Cadillac serves is it's beyond just Benton and Franklin counties that that geographic reach gets down into northern Oregon. And so all of those counties that that circle the Tri-Cities are in that uh, essential worker population. So we were probably as hard hit as anywhere in the country. Oh, you're absolutely right. And uh, we have nothing but um, gratefulness for our staff because talk about being hit hard and under stressful hours. They have not wavered in their dedication and service to our community. And, you know, our promise at Cadillac is, know me, care for me, ease my way. They never lost sight of that. And uh, I think we can all be extremely grateful. Over the years, you know, as a practicing physician, I've had the privilege of being able to practice in a lot of different hospitals across the country and even a couple around the world. And there is no better hospital than Cadillac. Our staff is so professional and so well-trained. They all focus on their Hippocratic Oath, and our community is so blessed to have uh, this this organization here in the Tri-Cities. From your view on the board, and I know um, in in the leadership role, and I know the, the, the the clinical leaders in the hospital and healthcare leaders within the Catholic system and all throughout the Providence system for that matter. I know one of the concerns going forward is this has been such a prolonged effort and stressful as you touched on and fatiguing and all, every other adjective that can be described uh, relative to the stress that this has had. And, and I know another acronym that is that has started to be thrown around uh, quite a bit relative to COVID is this post-traumatic stress syndrome or PTSD. And so I know that there is great effort being expended out of the concern of that staff that you touched on to make sure that their needs are met going forward as we come out of this pandemic. You're absolutely right. I think in the past, nobody really understood how healthcare workers are and healthcare providers or caregivers are affected by uh, the tragedies that occur to families that they're taking care of, but it affects them personally. Uh, they used to say, well, you can't take on your patient's problems personally, but I can tell you, you can't work in healthcare and not take on these issues and emotions personally. Um, So in in that regard, I'd like to make a shout-out to the Cadillac Foundation because uh, with donor support throughout the community, you know, we supported programs at the Boys and Girls Club to provide uh, child care for a lot of our staff when it wasn't existed in the community. Uh, We also... uh, partnered with uh, restaurants like the Public House to provide meal packages for our overworked staff so when they went home they didn't have to prepare meals for their families. 
we uh, tried to provide through the Cadillac Foundation uh, supplemental income for those who were finding stressful income issues because of their inability to pay rent and pay uh, uh, mortgage payments and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, man, talk about a, a generous community and a community that circled around our hospital and our caregivers, and uh, we we hold them in very, very high regard. And I know, as you touched on, then the, the work going forward is to make sure that, that we're keeping a close eye on them as, as we move forward. And and again, before we shift gears, we have to take a break. But I, I'd like to have you maybe just, from the board's perspective, uh, your colleagues that serve on not only the Catholic board, but you're also on the foundation board, they're community residents. They're people that live here. They're all over the Tri-Cities area. And I know, I know if, if you're speaking for all of them, what would your message be to this community about what we've been through this past year? Well, I'd like the, the community to know that if they could sit in on a board meeting, they would see all of this love and uh, uh, compassion come out of the decisions that the board makes. Our first priority... Uh, in every decision is to do the best thing we can for the community and health care. And, and, Jim, it doesn't boil down to uh, our ability to meet budget because we try to provide services that uh, can't be paid for and try to uh, figure out ways to raise funds to, to make it happen in the future because we know it's the best thing for our community. But we need the community's help. Uh, but every member of our board is open to discussion with any anybody in the community that knows them and wants to know more about health care. I think they can be approached. Dr. Ted Samsel with the Cadillac Community Mission Board. He's also with the Cadillac Foundation Board. He's a longtime practicing physician in the Tri-Cities and uh, very devoted to uh, improving the health care in our community. We have one more segment uh, with Dr. Samsel. When we come back, we're going to get into a little more about the contribution, the philanthropy side of how you can become involved to, to provide some of these resources that help keep this community so health care great. Back with more of our program right after this. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. And we are enjoying a discussion with Dr. Ted Samsel, who is the chair of the Cadillac Medical Center Community Mission Board, as well as an active member of the Catholic Foundation Board. And Dr. Samsel, before we let you go, uh, we're going to turn to the foundation side of things. And and I know uh, you touched on some of the wonderful work that is done through the donations of generous uh, donors to Catholic uh, in our previous segment relative to COVID. But I know that work, uh, as we uh, emerge from this pandemic, the importance of philanthropy and the importance of our community to, to support our health care uh, systems is even more uh, important than ever, isn't it? It is. Uh, <clears throat> Jim, uh, I grew up during uh, the 40s and 50s, and I recall times when our parents held uh, bake shows and all kinds of things to raise money for health care in our communities. And 
today we're faced with similar uh, issues. Our health care services, um, the needs are um, far outweigh uh, the resources that we have. And to provide charitable health care and high-quality health care at the same time, we need the community support to be able to do that. Well, we're so grateful that, that Catholic has such an active foundation in this community. And there's one I want to have you touch on. Uh, there's an opportunity for people uh, of a certain age, over the age of 60, and if they have some uh, some funds that they can contribute, that it, that it not only could provide some wonderful support in an ongoing basis and a legacy in the healthcare community at Catholic, but it also can provide them some income uh, as they move forward in their in their uh, elderly years. Talk a little bit about what the K Life Fund is. I know it's kind of complex, but if you can, maybe the one minute version, Doctor Samsel. Well, I think for most of us, it's not complex. Uh, if you have in your heart that you want to make a, um, a major gift or an impact gift to your community and the health care that uh, we serve, uh, not only those who have the resources to access health care, but the poor and the vulnerable, then this is the program for you if you're over age 60. It's a wonderful program. It's a way the government has set aside a system where you can make a, uh, uh, a gift contribution of $10,000 or more, and you will get 6% return on that gift for the rest of your life. And if you're married, the longest living spouse will get the reward of that, that gift until they're gone. The major, uh, uh, I think, importance of this gift is that if you look at other gifts that are available, like charitable remainder trusts, uh, charitable gift annuities, the person who makes the gift may get rewarded for it in tax and some financial benefit, but they can't see the impact of the gift until they, till they're already uh, gone. So. With this method, you can actually make a gift of that same size, and you can get a 6% return with a cost of living increase each year and also see the impact right away. And it's a wonderful way to be able to make a major gift and still receive the, the financial support of the gift you're making. And... Uh, and see the reward go to the community in your own lifetime. And I think most donors like the idea of experiencing some impact or reward uh, to the community for the gift they make. And this is one way to be able to do that. It's called K-Life, and if you'd like more information, there's actually going to be a free virtual seminar happening on March 31st. At 11.30 a.m., it's just a one-hour seminar. It's actually being led by Josh Chittenden, who is a senior wealth advisor at Peterson Hastings. He will be leading the presentation. Josh also happens to be a member of the Catholic Foundation Board, donating his time to provide education on this. It's happening again March 31st from 11.30 to 12.30. If you'd like to register more information, go to catholic.org slash foundation, and you can fig- uh, determine how you can get signed up, or you can call 
942-2661 to learn more on how you can participate. Dr. Samson, we have just about 30 seconds, if you would, left. Uh, we've talked about philanthropy. We've talked about how our community can make a difference in ensuring the legacy and the, and the quality of health care that we've come to enjoy for all these years. Maybe a concluding comment on that and what you've seen from your role as a physician, as a, as a member of, of Catholic's various boards uh, during this past year. Well, I've seen nothing but um, dedicated people and empathy. Uh, I think we're so blessed in our community because we have, um, we have good relationships uh, at Cadillac with uh, Columbia Basin College and with the Tri-Cities uh, WSU Nursing School. So we have manpower and, and nursing power that's being created all the time, and we, we know the quality of those people that are working for us. And we're so uh, grateful uh, for how the community has rallied around the medical center and rallied around our workforce and staff and caregivers at a time when all of us uh, need community support to make it through this arduous time. Well, very well said, sir. Dr. Ted Samso, uh, what a way to end our program on such an optimistic note. We thank you for your time and all of the service that you and the, the fellow board members provide to this community, and not to mention the, the 4,000 volunteers and caregivers that work within the Catholic system. Our thanks to you, and thank you for listening as well. We'll talk again next Wednesday night. Thank you. Thank you, Jim.